Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. I'm so thankful for my beautiful wife, uh, Pastor Heather, here with us today. And... um, so excited to be able to uh, do life with you, but especially today to share the stage with you and to share the message with you. Praise the Lord. Y'all are in for a treat today. It's going to be good, and uh, I'm just excited what God is doing. Um, we've been in our series called Dead Man Walking. Have y'all been enjoying this? Um, as much as I'm, I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, I really hope it's beginning to stir something inside of you. Like we sang today, something stirring six feet under, you know, that song is speaking about Jesus as he was resurrected, but it's also the realization that there's resurrection power from Jesus working inside of us. Scripture says the same power that raised Christ's body out of the grave is working in you, right? Think about what that means. The same power that raised Christ's body. So his body that was unrecognizable as a man. When he was being led to the cross, they said you couldn't look at him and say, oh, that was Jesus. Because you couldn't, he was beaten so badly. He had so many uh, wounds and and things and, and bleeding from head to toe all over his body. You couldn't recognize him. But somehow there was all this power from God that caused his body not only to be resurrected, but then for people to be able to recognize him again. Scripture says he appeared to over 400 people and they knew who he was when he showed up. When, doubting, when he showed up to Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas because we know the end of the story, but Jesus just loved him and called him Thomas. Come on. And he said, Thomas, I know you're not believing that I've been resurrected, so go ahead and, and touch my hands where the nails were. Touch my side where the wound. Like there was some faith that God was trying to interject into Thomas to move him from doubting, from being stuck in deadness to being alive, to be full of faith. And that's really been my desire that God would move us out of the dead things of our life, that he would move us out of being comfortable with having dead things around us. I don't know about y'all, but I don't have dead things in my house. Anybody keep a dead body? And, and if you do, don't maybe just don't raise your hands. I don't want anybody to be creeped out. But I, I would venture to say that if we were to show up for dinner you wouldn't have a dead person at the other end of the table pretending that they were alive. No, we don't, don't do invite that. Us to dinner. You what? Don't invite us to dinner. That's going to happen. <laughs> that would be weird. Creepy. I get a little grossed out easily. Disturbing. But so often, what do we do in our lives? We keep doubt in our lives, the deadness of doubt. We keep sinful thoughts in our minds. We don't deal with the things when they're coming at us. We keep pride in our hearts. We keep all, we keep so many dead things in our lives. And I believe God is wanting to awaken us in this season, like to come alive in Christ. That's why we've had Romans 6, 11 as our theme verse. Hopefully you have it memorized by now. If not, they'll put it on the screens. It says, Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We're going to be alive in the spiritual sense to God, and we're going to recognize the things that tried to be dead to us, and we're not going to allow them to stay around in our lives anymore. And so today, uh, the word of the Lord is miracles still happen. Let me hear you say miracles still happen. 
Come on, that was good. But by the end of this service, I hope to have the rest of you believing that. I heard it good on this side. Let me hear it one more time. Miracles still happen. Okay, that was good. Now let me come over here and see if this is my side over here. Say miracles still happen. Oh, y'all got your work cut out for you over here. Come on, on the right-hand side. Praise the Lord. Miracles still happen. Miracles are for today. Miracles are for you. Many times people believe that miracles, oh yeah, God can do miracles, but not for me. That's where many people are. Yeah, I believe God is all powerful. He can do some things, but he, he, he might not work in my life. Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God does miracles today the same as he did when we read in Scripture, and God can do miracles in your life too. And so today, I have one job. We have one job, babe. That's to get faith stirred up in people, to get people believing that God can do miracles in your life. So what are you believing God for? What are you believing God for? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it health? Is it mental? What is it? What are you believing God for? Today, I want to get you to the place, not just where you're hyped up, where you're excited. See, because when something is hyped up, you have to prop something up that's not up to where it should be. You have to kind of have to get it up there. God doesn't need to be hyped up because God is already Lord over all. He's already there. We have to get ourselves to realize, keep our eyes on him, get our faith raised up to where he is so that miracles can be released in our lives. Come on. So we came to share about miracles today. Can you tell he's a little powered up? I love it. Come on. Come on. I told you I preach 87% better than they amen sometimes, but we love you anyways. Praise him. Um, miracles come in a variety of different forms. Um, you know, as we read scripture all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the end of the book, we see uh, many, many miracles taking place. And um, when we look specifically at the life of Jesus, if you want to read about the life of Jesus, they're recorded in four books of the Bible called the Gospels, the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Those record the life of Jesus. And uh, in those four books of the Bible, the Gospels, there are recorded 35 miracles that Jesus did. 35 miracles, and so I, I broke them down into categories. That's 17 uh, bodily cures where he healed sickness or he healed disease of some kind, right? Six times Jesus cast the devil out of somebody. Now, don't look at your spouse right now. Just eyes straight forward, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. That was funny, though. Six times Jesus cast the, cast the devil out. Three times people were raised from the dead, right? Uh, we studied one of those last week, Lazarus, and nine times we see a miracle over nature, the, the, the storm being calm, the tree being withered. There's, there's miracles, and, and the truth is these are not the only miracles that Jesus did. Uh, I love the way John uh, finishes his entire book, the last verse of the book of John, John chapter 21, verse 25. He says this, Jesus did many other things as well. So many other miracles that we don't know about. He says, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That is just super cool right there. An amazing thing to think about. Not only does did Jesus do miracles, but I believe that the Bible is full of stories of miracles to build our faith, and the Bible is full of promises for you and I for miracles for our own lives. Like 3 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things and have health, even as your soul prospers. So is, how is your soul today? 
Is your soul prospering? Come on, this is a promise of God for your life to experience a miracle of health, of prosperity in all things. God doesn't want you broke, busted, and disgusted. He wants you to, we just read, he wants you to be prospering. He wants you to have health in every area. So come on, it's time to talk to our souls. So put your hand on your, yourself right here on your soul. Say, soul, prosper. You know, sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Sometimes uh, you look yourself in the mirror in the morning. Anybody else? You good looking. How how are you doing? You know, like, you got to talk to yourself sometimes. You got to preach to yourself. Like, I'm not going to be there in the morning to preach to you. You know, you can get the podcast and that's great, you know, like, but I'm there to preach to you. I'm so glad. But I can't be there with everybody. You got to preach to yourself when you're in the car, when you get the, call, the phone call, when worry sets in, when you don't know what to do, you don't have the answer. You got to be ready to talk to your soul and let yourself know, soul, don't be so downcast. My hope is in the Lord. You got to remind yourself and speak to yourself sometimes. And I'm getting off track. I got to stay on track. So let me ask you this question. What is the, the purpose of a miracle in your life? What is the point? Why would God go to the lengths of allowing his supernatural power to be released through our lives, right? Because isn't that what a miracle is? A miracle is not just getting what we want. Got quiet. Sometimes we think that, that God didn't move because we didn't get our, our prayer demands on our prayer timeline. But that doesn't mean God didn't move. That didn't mean that a miracle didn't happen. Right? A miracle, let's define it this way then. A miracle is God divinely, supernaturally intervening in our earthly life to bring his power, his glory, his presence to be on display through us so that other people could be pointed to Jesus. The whole purpose of a miracle in your life is not to get stuck with you. And please don't get your feathers ruffled or take it the wrong way. Yes, God wants you to be restored. God wants healing. He wants prosperity in your life. He wants you to be whole. But the miracle shouldn't get stuck in your hands. The miracle was meant to point people to Jesus. Let me show you in Scripture. John chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, Jesus, this is John again, he's saying the same thing. Jesus performed many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But here's the purpose. But these are written, these 35 about Jesus were written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let's just make it clear. Miracles set the stage to point people to Jesus. That's the whole reason. So when we're believing God for a miracle, it's not just so I can have what I want and then I'm done. Thank you, God. I'll let you know the next time I need another miracle. No, the miracle is so that the glory of God, the goodness of God would be on display in us so that other people around us would take notice and say, what's going on in your life? Oh, God just did a miracle. Jesus has saved me. He's been so good to me so that other people could come into relationship with him. Amen. Oh, that's right. Miracles often pass through us to others, right? I love that. As he was saying, what are you believing for? He names off all these things, right? Financial healing in your body. But I think one miracle that wasn't mentioned is the miracle for someone else. Come on. Right? So all throughout the New Testament, we see that, right? Like the father that comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter, she's ill and she's dying, right? Or 
even my servant, right? And, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come. And he says, no, just command it from here. I believe you from here, right? All these places where someone else was believing for the miracle. And I saw that in my own life. When I was 17, I died. Like, y'all, died. Brain dead. Completely dead. And for hours, I laid dead. I had gotten sick <laughs> and went to throw up and pass out at the same time. So everything did not come out. It just got lodged inside of my throat. And so I laid there, no oxygen getting to my brain for about five Six hours. And my mom stood in the gap for me. Aren't you thankful for your mama? Come on. Wouldn't be here without her. But can I tell you that she was on the other side of my miracles. She was believing God for me to live again. And when the doctor brought her into a private room, how many know that's a scary moment? And said, she is a vegetable. You know what a vegetable is? It has no life. It's already been cut. It just lays there, right? Nobody has an onion walking around the house. It just is there. And that's what he told my mom. Hey, she's got a 20% chance to live if she ever lives again. Because, see, the machines were pumping everything for me. They were causing my heart to pump. They were causing my lungs to breathe. I was not there. My brain was dead. Nothing was working. And so when he looked at her and he said... She will never walk. She will never talk. She will never know you by name. She will never call you mom again. She'll never graduate. She's not walking across that stage. She's not going to drive a car. I'm so thankful that there was people on the other side of my miracle where my mom and my uncle stepped in. And they said, hey, that's enough. We've heard enough. And the doctor said, no, listen. I do this every day for a living. And my uncle, I'm so thankful such a great man of God turned around. He said, no, sir, I do this every day for a living. We have to get in the place to believe for a miracle where even when someone with authority says, hey, it's over, we say, it's not over till God says it's over, right? So even though I didn't know what was even happening in that moment, I was dead, y'all, like brain dead. God and I were having a discussion, and it went totally different than what I had expected at 17 years old. But I'm so thankful that in three days... My eyes opened. In 10 days, I walked out of the hospital. Come on, Come on, God is good all the time if we'll stand and believe. Yeah, you got to have some tenacious faith. Come on, yeah. If you're you believing God, it. right, we just saying, God, we believe for it. Yeah. We got to hold on to it. We got to refuse to let it go. And I'm just so thankful that God does miracles today to point people to Jesus through our lives. Come on. God is good all the time. And I believe miracles happen today and miracles are for you. Miracles are taking place in your life and not just the little small ones. I know that sometimes we're like, oh, God, it's a miracle I woke up today. And those, great. I'm not trying to discount that. But I just want to stir you up to begin to believe for the impossible. To begin to believe for the thing that looks like it will never change. Yeah. To begin to believe, God, that there will be a miracle of his word taking place. So I want to give us today four keys to building faith for miracles in our lives. Hopefully you'll write these down if you're taking notes. The first one is this. If we're going to build faith for miracles, we need to continually get in God's presence. You got to get in God's presence. The, the truth is, is that it's kind of an interesting statement to say, I've got to get in God's presence because we know that God is always there, right? He is, one of his names in the Bible is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God technically is with us, around us, surrounding us all the time, but 
It's interesting as you read through scripture, there's all these scriptures that say, come into his presence. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Come into his house. But come boldly before the throne of grace. So there's this implication throughout scripture that while God is with us, we have to do something deliberate to say, God, I'm going to get in your presence. And the best way I know to describe it is air. There is air all around you 100% of the time, coming on every side of you all the time. And without air in your body, if without breathing the air in and breathing the air out, your body would die. <laughs> you cannot survive without the air in your body that surrounds you 100% of the time. In fact, you can't get away from air unless you go to outer space. You gotta, if, as long as you're here on this earth, there will be air around you. And science has actually proven that if I will slow myself down and take some deep breaths, let's do it all together. Let it out. If I will do that, take a, just some moments and say la and pause and be still, that actually those deep breaths will been, begin to bring health throughout all the systems of my body. The air is around us all the time. And your body has learned the natural rhythm of breathing in the air and breathing it out. So much so that you don't even think about it most of the time. But your body is in this rhythm of breathing air in and breathing it out. And it's the same with getting in God's presence. You can train yourself to be in the rhythm of breathing in God's presence and breathing it out, of constantly being in God's presence. But it doesn't happen by default. We've got to do some things. God, I come to you. God, I, I put myself in your presence. That's one of the things that's so powerful about being in church, I believe, is that it's an environment of faith, an environment where it's easier to shut out all the distractions and enter into God's presence, where the environment, the table has been set for you, and you can walk in and feel the presence of God. You can pull in the parking lot and sense there's something different here than there is on other days. You know what I'm talking about? But we've got to get ourselves in this place that no matter where I go, when I go to Wawa and I'm putting gas in the vehicle, when I'm at the grocery store buying groceries, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, that there's this continuation of the reality of the power and the glory of God's presence with us all the time, continually getting in God's presence. And if it, it, the, the significance of that is if you are not in God's presence, it's hard, going to be hard to have faith for miracles. Because when you're in the presence of, of other things, it's just going to be a whole lot harder to believe God for miracles. When you're in the presence of people who are just, who, who can't say anything good, or they're always just talking about how bad things are, it's going to be hard to believe God for a miracle. When all you hear is the negative on the news or on Facebook or wherever else, it's going to be hard to believe God for a miracle. When you are isolated and cut off from other people and you're not connected relationally to other people of faith, it's going to be hard to overcome the barrage of thought and worries and despair that's coming at us all the time. Like, we've got to get ourselves in environments and places we are, where we are continually in God's presence. I love this scripture that says in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me if you seek me with all your heart. You know, it's almost like God is saying there's this if in there. Like, if you seek me with everything, you'll find me. But if you don't seek me with everything, you won't find me. 
Like, we've got to get in this rhythm of every aspect of our life. It's not an over-spiritualization. That's a lie from the devil to keep you from God's presence because he understands what happens when a believer is living guided by the Spirit of God, guided by the Holy Spirit. And we live in a day and a time where we need to be connected and guided and led by the Holy Spirit now more than ever. We need to know from the Holy Spirit, hey, don't drive that way. Don't get on this flight. Go this way. Don't make that decision. Start now. We need that level of connection in the presence of God. Yeah, I would even say, you know, in my story, one thing is that I wasn't living for God. I wasn't trying not to live for God, but I remember that moment, like I said, like I didn't know what was happening because it was kind of like right now. I don't know if you guys know, but I can't see you. Um, it's really dark out there, and there's this bright light on my face, so it makes it really hard. Um, but that's kind of like what it was when I was dead, is that it was just darkness with this super bright light, and God spoke to me, and he said, Heather, what are you doing with the life that I've given you? Wow. And at 17, my great answer back to God, the creator of all heaven and earth, was, I'm not that bad. And I remember telling him, like, God, I don't party. I don't do anything crazy. I don't do drugs or drink or anything. Like, I go to a Christian school. I help my mom at church. Like, that's pretty good, right? And I'll never forget the moment when God said, I've called you for more. And in that moment, something shook inside of me. You know, we all have excuses, no matter how old you are. It wasn't that I was 17. It was that my mindset said, you're, you're not there. You're not good enough. You're not old enough. I had all these excuses. But that was also the moment that God allowed me to hear for the first time what was happening. And I remember hearing my aunt say to the nurse, tell my husband what you just told me. And the nurse said, she was pronounced dead on the scene. She's been brain dead too long. And I thought, oh, wait, they're talking about me. Oh, wait, this is it. And suddenly I wanted to change my answer a little bit. Suddenly it wasn't good enough where I was. And I remember my uncle, who is a big, burly man, y'all. <laughs> he is the biggest Harley-riding, burly preacher that you will ever meet with the biggest heart and the raspiest voice. <laughs> and I remember he started to sing to me, Beauty for Ashes. And as he was singing, I will tell you, you probably wouldn't enjoy it, but it touched me. And I started to just feel like, oh man, God can do something here. God could turn this around for me if he'll allow me to live. And as he was singing, he got real close and he started to whisper. I couldn't see him, but I could hear his voice started to quiver a little bit, and he leaned in and he said, Heather, if you'll make it, if you'll pull through, I'll take you with me to Guatemala. And you can tell all the kids in Guatemala that Jesus raised you from the dead. Now, I will tell you, at 17, there wasn't the idea in my mind to do that. Like, I was like, oh, God, I still don't, I don't have anything to offer you. But then my heart changed because there was people on the other side of what I could do for God. And so something rose up on the inside of me, and then it, it changed from, God, this is good enough, and this is all I have, to, God, if you'll allow me to live, I'll live for you all the Come days on. of my life, and I will go to Guatemala. Come on. Come on. There's something about being in his presence. See, my uncle spent 
the mornings. Every morning, you can find him on his knees with both of his dogs praying, 4.30 to 5.30. Sometimes it leads to 6.30. And then he'll walk and he'll continue to pray. See, he knew in those moments exactly what needed to happen. I didn't know. I didn't have the answer. But seeking God's face woke up something inside of me and was passed on from him to me in that moment that I couldn't even shake. I mean, it brought me literally back to life. Good. I think, you know, even as you're sharing, and you know, parents, come on, come on, lean in, parents. Like you have an opportunity to raise a generation. Come on. They're watching. They're watching, and the things that we are doing are being generationally passed on. So many people are like, "Well, they were their parents were just this," and you know, no, no, no. You've been raised to life in Christ. Come on. All things are made new. All things, including whatever your past was. And now you have a new generation before you that is watching when you pick up the bottle. That is watching when you're cursing out this person or when you lose your temper. They're watching when you take time to seek God. They're watching as you serve or when you talk bad about whoever. No, they're watching. And we've got to be careful, moms and dads, how we're raising a generation and not just fault them when they get older because we're raising children. Like, we're not raising children. They're already children. We're raising adults. We've got to begin to make some different decisions with the long view in mind. That the little things of preference, like, sure, you know, like, you know, just having a, a drink now and then send a the person to hell. Well, I, I, that's not my decision to make. But is it going to influence the other people behind me? That's why Paul wrote, he says, it's not about whether I can or I can't. He says, it's about am I motivated by love for how it affects somebody else? That's the main thing. So as a parent, it's even more like the weight is on us to raise them up, to know God, to follow after him, to not put anything before them that will cause them to stumble, cause them to fall. We want to make sure they can excel further than we ever could. You know, that's why being in God's presence, you know, it's not about did I check the spiritual box? No, it's about realizing like God, like. I can't even do that. How, God, how can I be the best parent and raise my kids that way without you? No, God, I need you. I cannot do this without being in your presence. That's the reality of, of what we're talking about. So I want to kind of look at a, a story from the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17 today, just as we talk about miracles. Um, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. They'll have it on the screen, 1 Kings 17. Verse 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe was uh, in Gilead and said to Ahab, Ahab was the king of Israel, and he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's crazy. Think about that. No dew or no rain for years. I mean, Sometimes we go a week without rain, and we're, we're glad, but we still have dew being brought on the earth. But here he's saying no dew or no rain, uh, no, nothing to water the crops, nothing growing. King, are you ready for a famine? See, why would God cause this to happen? Well, in the context of this story, God was bringing judgment on his people because they had begun uh, to worship false gods and demonic spirits and offer all kinds of sacrifices to these things. They refused to come to God. They refused to repent and get
get in God's presence. And so here we see the picture of those who will get in God's presence and what he does and those who won't. We see Elijah the prophet and God is speaking to him. He's allowed himself to be in God's presence and he's hearing from God. He's receiving a word from God. And then in the next verse it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook that, and I have directed, some translations say, I have commanded the ravens to supply you with food there. You all thought DoorDash was original, but they just plagiarized the Bible. It's the original fast food right there. Ravens flying in, bringing bread and flesh to barbecue sandwiches to Elijah there by the brook. See, here Elijah's been in God's presence. He's been serving him. He's been seeking him. And not only did God speak to him, but God said, I, I have provision for you, and I'm providing direction how to get to the provision. So I'm sure the king was angry. There's not going to be rain. I, I, we, we're not ready for a famine. Why would you do this to us? And shaking their, the Bible even says he tried to kill Elijah. And God provided the GPS coordinates of the one place the king couldn't find Elijah that happened to have fresh water and God had already directed ravens to go to that place to bring barbecue sandwiches to him, bread and meat. Come on, this is going to be a cookout in heaven one day. I don't know if you ever stopped and thought about this. Why didn't the ravens just eat the bread and the meat? Isn't that crazy to think about? Those black crazy birds flying by, bringing meat and bread to Elijah by the brook. They would have just ate it. Like, that's what our birds do today, you know. But no, God, he said, I've commanded them. That was a miracle when you think about it. Miracles taking place in this story because Elijah had stayed connected to God the Father. Here's the next key to build faith for our miracles is that obedience moves us to the right position. If we're going to build faith for miracles, it's going to require obedience to God's word. What good would the ravens have been if Elijah hadn't gone to the place God had told him? Then you would have just had ravens dropping uh, bread and meat in a place where Elijah wasn't. And Elijah would have been like, God, I thought you were going to provide for me. I thought you were good. I thought, and God is like, I am. I told you to go there, but you didn't want to do what I said. I told you to do these things, but you didn't want to do it. You wanted your way. Well, your way is not the way to provision. There was provision, but Elijah had to go. And I love, I love the next verse, right, where it says, uh, where I skipped it already, praise the Lord. It says, so, verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. Somebody needs to underline that. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book. Y'all know there's no freak out in heaven over the economy or the price of groceries. When we choose to align ourselves in obedience to God's word, if he needs to send some uh, disgusting black birds to bring you some food, he's going to do it. There's no freak out in heaven about those things. Obedience gets us in the right position. Come on. Come on. How many know that if you're not obe obeying God that it gets you off course? Yeah. That's where I found myself. So here I am, 17 years old, before I die, I got mono. Don't drink after people in high school. Um, but... I went to see the doctor, and the doctor looked at me, and he said, all right, you're going to be fine. I'm going to prescribe this medication to you. And as soon as he said it, I had this check in my spirit. Now, like I said, I was not walking with God. I did some churchy things, but I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, I could say this stuff, but it wasn't in my heart. But in that moment, I felt God just like the nudge. Don't, don't take that. And so I thought, okay, what do you do when authority talks to you? You say something nice like, 
I don't think that's a good idea. That's what I told him. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, I think my grandpa was uh, deathly allergic. And he kind of laughed at me, and um, he was like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought, well, God, it's okay if I take the prescription. I just won't get it filled. But how many of you know, then when you start feeling bad with mono, I don't know if you've ever had mono. It's like 10 times worse than strep. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to fill the prescription in case I need it. Because God might not show up. So I did, and I got home, and I didn't take it. I put it in my cabinet. As a matter of fact, I didn't even tell anyone. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, I'm just going to put this up here. It's going to be fine. And um, the next morning when I woke up, I was feeling so bad, like just terrible. And I thought, I could take half. Half, because my mom had these cool pill cutters for her ginormous vitamins. <laughs> and so I cut my pill down, and I was like, but God, I half obeyed you. But half obedience is really disobedience. And so here I am watching TVN. If you're over the age of 30, you probably know what that is. It's Christian television because I thought that would help me. Um, and so I have TVN, TVN playing. Jan Crouch is praying for people, and I'm receiving everything she's saying. I'm like, yes, Jesus, I need healing. Yes, I need a miracle. Um, <laughs> right? And here's my one half pill, half obedient to you. Um, and I remember in that moment, the moment that I took it, I was like, oh, that was a bad choice. Now, smart people would have thrown it up. I was 17, I was not. And so I laid there and I prayed, God, I don't know if I'm saved or not, but if I'm not, would you just forgive me of everything that I've done wrong because I don't want to go to hell. Um, you know, this is my prayer to him in this moment that I could be meeting him. It's terrible. Um, so anyways, I fell asleep and I woke up and that's when it hit me. I needed to throw up. <laughs> um, but there was no going back from that moment, right? So that, that small disobedience, even when someone who had authority told me, right? Because people in authority will always tell us what we need to do and it'll always sound good. The enemy doesn't just come like red pitchfork, you know, like, hey guys, do this bad thing. It's usually in a way that looks good. And so that's where I found myself. And let me just tell you, God didn't play, but he always gives us grace, yeah. right? So if we're walking towards a miracle and we misstep, it's not over because a righteous man gets up again. Yeah, I'm on. thankful that he gave me that opportunity. That's good. Um, you know, there's, there's always uh, things that we go through, situations that we're dealing with. Maybe God is speaking a new direction where he's leading us and guiding us, but always getting us in position to receive the miracle. That's God's desire, that we would be in position to receive the miracle provision for what he has. And so I just encourage you, like, you're like, well, that's great that Elijah heard God speaking, but I want to encourage you, you can hear God speaking too. Come on, as a, as a Christian, you should expect to hear God speaking to you regularly. Sometimes it's like what you were saying where it's just that check inside your spirit. It's a still, small voice. Other times, it's more obvious. Sometimes God speaks to me as I'm reading the word, and there'll be a scripture that stands out. Be like, how did you get, I've read this before, but it's never been in there. No, that's just, it was in there. It's just God getting your attention in that moment, and he's trying to speak to you through that verse. Sometimes God will speak to us through people, through spirit. Uh, leaders and everything. But I love this verse, John 10, 27. Jesus said these words, the, the words in red. He says, my sheep 
listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So you can hear the voice of God speaking. All right, let me say that one more time. I'm going to say that and then you say amen. Okay, you can hear the voice of God speaking. Come on, that's good. You can hear God speaking. He speaks regularly. In fact, Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's great because sometimes we go through some really dark things. Sometimes things seem cloudy. We can't see clearly. Well, the word is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path to show you what's the next step to take. I don't know what to do now. Well, the answer's in the book. It's a light unto your path. It's going to give you another step to take. God is always speaking. If we're willing to get in line and obey what he says, that's where we get in trouble so many times. We go looking to answers in so many different things. People go to the horoscopes. People go to Facebook. People go to their next-door neighbor. Or they go to their political whatever. Or they go to this or they go that, trying to find answers, trying to find peace, and nothing provides. It's only when we come back and we say, God, I need to repent. I disobeyed. God, I'm going to begin to obey. It's obedience that leads us to provision. So in our story, verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah again, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed or commanded a widow there to supply food for you. It's a good place to stop and say God always has a plan to provide for his people. No matter what's going on, God always has a plan to provide. My pastor growing up taught us this way. He said, where God guides, he provides. Come on, he always provides. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. So there we see Elijah obedient again. He went to where God told him to go. He, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called. Do you see her obedience in that place? She went immediately to get the water. And bring me a piece of bread, please. Now here's where it got difficult. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a little jar, a little olive oil in a jug. Then I'm, I'm gathering a few sticks to take it home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Isn't that a cheery picture for your future? But so many times, this is how we approach God when it comes to obedience. God, I, I just, I, I can't give today because I've only got this little bit and then I'm just going to just going to eat it and die. God, I can't serve today because we're just, we're just so busy. I can't be involved. God, I, I can't this. I, I can't this because I don't have when all along what she had needed for her miracle, she already had. It's just if she was willing to move into the realm of obedience. She knew who God was. She says, the Lord your God. She, she recognized that he was speaking the word of God, but she had to then move herself out of the easy obedience, right? Because when she went to get the jug of water, it wasn't hers. It was from the public well where she could freely get whatever she needed. She knew there was a supply there, so there was no sacrifice. There was nothing that cost her anything. There was nothing to put on the line for her other than just a little bit of effort. But then when it came, please make me a piece of bread, well, then I don't have enough to give you a piece of bread. 
Then it began to cost her personally. Then it began to move her out of the place where she had what she needed to uh, obedience to the word of God. It's always going to cause us to move to that place. Isn't it funny how when we're believing for a miracle, the devil wants to come and get us to think that if I hold in my grasp what I have, then I'll get what I need. But the miracle is never found in a closed-fisted grasp. The miracle is always found with open hands. That's where a miracle is found, those that are willing to live that way. You want to make room for the miracle, then it's not found in clutched grass. Verse 15, that we see the widow chose faith. So she went away. Oh, I, I skipped a part. She's keeping me on track. See, y'all think that, no, no, things good that happen around victory happen because of this lady right here, my wife. Verse 13. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Here's the third key <laughs> to building faith for miracles. Release what's in your hand. You got to just release what's in your hand. So often we're, we're living this way when God has called us to live this way, right? Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. And that's the root when we live this way. It's because we're afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you've said. But first, there's the principle of first again. God is always first. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Now the widow could have gone either way. And just like us, we can go either way. She could have gone the way of, no, I'm going to take my little sticks home and I'm going to eat my little bread and then we're going to die. She could have gone that way. That's her choice. Or she could go the way of faith that Elijah said, hey, if you are willing to give God the first of what you have, then here's the promise. You will never be without. You won't have lack. You'll have everything you need until everything in the world changes. The widow chose faith. Verse 15, so she went away and did as Elijah told her. She released what was in her hand. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. See, the miracle wasn't just for her. It blessed her. It blessed her family. Here's this widow woman providing for people all around her, providing for Elijah. See, when we choose obedience, where we release what's in our hands, all of a sudden there's more than enough to see the work of God advance around the world. Come on, somebody. So sit, look at somebody sitting near you and say, what's in your hands already? The miracle that you need is already in your hands. It's already there. Everything you need for the miracle is there. Here's the last one today. The last key for building faith for a miracle is hold on to the word. Hold on to the promises. Let me say it this way. Don't stop believing. Come on. He was really born a rock star. They always leave me hanging on that one. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Verse 16 says, For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. Here's the key thing. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elisha. 
God's word never fails. When we get our lives in alignment with the word, there will always be a working of God's word. There will always be provision. There will always be healing. There will always be guidance and and direction. There will be everything that we need because God's word never comes back void. That's why even when we're looking at a situation or you're believing God for a loved one or maybe a grown-up child, you continually speak the word of God over them. I remember a story our pastor told us growing up. He was a, a youth pastor pastor and um, his first job as a youth pastor, just a young man, he said, this uh, single mom brought her son to his youth group and he knew that this young man was using drugs like all the time and like didn't want to be there. And every time the mom would bring the son to the youth group, she would say, isn't Johnny doing great? And he was like, I was thinking, no, he's doing terrible. He's so messed up. And every single time she'd come pick him up, didn't he do great tonight? No, he was being a distraction, you know. But every single day, and he said one day the Lord spoke to him, be like, you need to begin to get in agreement with this mom that Johnny is doing great. We've got to hold on to the word. See, it's one thing to believe it in a moment. Okay, God, I'm going to believe you. And that's where so many people find themselves. I'm believing, God, that your word is true. And when in reality, they're just hoping and wishing. It's like they'll say it, but then in the next moment, they're going to doubt it. They're going to do whatever else. And you can always tell the level to which we're holding on to the promises of God by our words. You can hear it in our words what a person is really believing. We're either believing God's word or we're believing something else. Scripture says, whose report will you believe? We are going to believe the report of the Lord. And you can hear it in people's words. When they say, oh, I'm believing God for for a sound mind. I just believe God's going to help my mind be sound and I'm not going to be, you know, but they're just so forgetful. This thing is just driving them crazy. Well, then they're really not believing that God is renewing their mind and restoring how they think. They're believing that they're going to be crazy and that they can never remember things. And you can call it semantics. You can call it whatever you want. I call it living by the word of God. I call it believing the promises of God. Same way, there's a promise in the Bible that says that Moses' vision didn't diminish even in his old age. I believe that. I speak that over myself and my family all the time. My vision does not diminish in old age. And the people are like, well, as you get older, everything falls apart. Well, that's what you believe. That's good. But that's not what I choose to believe. See, the spirit of faith, we, we read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. This is the Passion Translation. says, we have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures. And he's referring to a passage in Psalms where he says, first I believed. That's the internal. I believed. Then I spoke in faith. So the spirit of faith is first believe, then speak in faith. So the faith that we have is released through our words, through our speech. And so if your words are constantly speaking death, constantly speaking doubt, constantly speaking despair, constantly speaking all this negativity, then that's what your faith is in. Your faith is evidenced in the words that you speak. So come on, sometimes we just get tripped by our lip, but that's okay because God always lifts us up. We always have these moments where we can pull it back in and get things in order, right? Um, so if we're going to begin to hold on to the promises, what do we have to do? We have to choose faith over doubt. The doubt will always be there. The doubt will always be there to try to convince you. But faith will always be there to reveal God's word to you. See, there's a difference between the two. 
So when you're facing a situation, you've got to realize what is being revealed. Is it trying to convince me of something that, uh, of a worst case scenario, or is it trying to reveal the word of God to me? We've got to make the choice in those moments. I'm going to go with faith. This is what this woman, the widow woman did in the story. The spirit of faith is this. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is why I love the Bible, because it's just so clear. So many people are trying to pray enough to please God. They're trying to do all these things to please God. But the Bible just said, how do we please God? It's an open book test. By faith. With a living a life of faith. It's not just like, oh, I have faith in my heart. So good. No, it's living by faith. Believing God's word. Having evidence in my life that even when I don't see things changing, I'm still holding on to his promises. We've got to choose faith over doubt. Can I intervene just for Always. a second? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it just, it reminded me. So like I said, my mom was believing for me on the other side, and I'm so very thankful for that. For her early mornings, like Pastor was saying, my mom, a single mama getting up every morning at 530, I would find her in her, what she called her prayer chair, with her Bible open on her lap, right? Because she was digging in. She was building up her spirit man. And so when I think about this, you know, what pleases God, that was what was pleasing God in those moments. But it prepared her for the hard moments. Because yeah. how many know, even though we're Christians, we still live on a very fallen and broken yeah. earth. And so we need to be prepared for the hard moments. And I remember her side of the story when she was talking to me about it after. She said, I remember getting onto the elevator and the enemy spoke and I heard his voice. And he said, I've taken your husband I've taken your mom. Now I'm going to take your daughter. See, my mom had lost my dad like three years prior. And then my grandma, like it was like, y'all, my mom's a strong woman. Um, but she said it rose up on the inside of her. God spoke to her and he said, I've given you authority. And she shut it down in that moment. Because, see, that's how the enemy is, right? Is that he comes and he has the whispers, hey, you're not good enough. You can't get it. You can't do that. That job's not for you. It's all the little things. That loved one's never going to meet Jesus. They're never going to walk in faith. Listen, God gave us a whole lot of promises to stand on. And very few of them say, if. Most of them say, I've given it to you, right? But we have to be able to have the tenacity to shut down the lie of the enemy and say, ah, I've heard enough, right? And go in that direction that God has spoken to us. Yeah, that's, good. that's good. Come on. In order to choose to hold on to the word, we're going to need to choose faith over doubt. Here's another thing that will help us to choose to hold on to the word is recognize who are you, you are keeping close to you. I'm That's, so thankful for that. Yeah. It's tough because not everybody around you is going to build faith in you. It doesn't mean that people are bad. It doesn't mean we can never talk to people. Listen, we don't need to be rude or nasty. Right? We are motivated by the love of God. But just not everybody can be part of the miracle. Wow, come on. Mark chapter 5. We just studied this a few weeks ago. Jay Iris and his daughter was dying, came to Jesus. Jesus come, Jesus goes, gets to the house, and all the people were there mourning. Oh, they're crying. The girl is dead. Jesus said, y'all have to go. Y'all can't be here. Even his disciples, he said, y'all can't be part of this. The only people that could go into where the miracle was was mom and dad and three disciples. 
everyone else in that story, in that area, was okay with death. Not everybody can be part of the miracle. If you're believing God for a miracle, there's just going to be some things in your life, some relationships that just you got to realize, like it's just not going to build faith in you for the miracle. Yeah. And so you got to make the decision, what do you really want in your life? I know for me, I've made the decision time and time again. Never easy, but always produces the fruit of the Spirit. Come on. Always builds faith, God. I want what you have more than I want anything else. You just got to recognize there's some, there's some people that are going to want to sit and cry with you, that are going to rehearse the hurt with you, the fellowship of the offended. Yeah. You know, Psalms chapter 1, I'm not going to walk in the seat of the scornful. I'm not going to sit in the seat with sinners, but my delight is in the law of the Lord. And I will dwell in his house. We just got to realize there's just some things, some associations that have to change. Not because uh, I'm trying to be anything other than I need the power of God in my life. I need people. Listen, I don't, I don't need more people in my life who can tell me how bad things are. I don't need more of that. I need people who are close to me, who have the spirit of God, who know how to hold on to the word, who can stand up, who can speak the word into me, who can walk with me and hold me accountable. And yes, who will cry with me sometimes, but then be like, okay, now it's time to rise up. Get up out of that place. That's who I need close to me because I need the power of God. I, I mean, there's things I'm believing for that if we want to see to come to pass, man, we got to, we got to dig in into these places. Yeah. I'm so thankful. You know, my art, like pastor was saying, our pastor growing up, pastor Billy Joe Daugherty, he walked into the hospital room that day. And I remember afterwards him talking to me and my uncle talking to me and my mom telling me he said he set the tone he said hey we're not going to let anyone in the room that speaks doubt so that means that if they're coming in they're praying over her they're singing worship over her but not one negative word will be spoken over her and it takes that right because when we're really believing when we're really standing we can say some crazy stuff like i'm gonna believe for my daughter back from the dead I know they said that it's impossible, but I still believe God's word. Come on, with God, nothing is impossible. But you know, to the world or to those who aren't really with God, they're like, okay. But we need Noah faith when everyone else says that's impossible, it's never happened, and God's not gonna give it to you. We gotta be the ones to say, it's okay, I'm still picking this up and I'm gonna still build what God's given me. And the same for us, we've gotta have the right people around us. That's why connect groups are so important. Come on, we gotta have people that we can connect to who will speak the word over us when everyone else is doubting. And can I tell you, just like we started, there are people on the other side. There are people who are waiting for your yes, for your tenacity, for your strength to not give up, to not give in in the midst of all of the chaos and all hell breaking loose in your family, in your health, and in your family's health, right? I couldn't believe it for myself. I'm so thankful that there were people who would stand with me even when I wasn't even coherent all the way. Come on, it takes an army for us to get through, but it takes the right army or else they'll drag you in the opposite direction. Come on, let's get to our feet today. I don't know what miracle you need in your life. I don't know what it is you're believing for or who you're believing for. 
but I believe this is a moment. This is an environment of faith, a, a moment for us to respond in faith to where God is leading us today in his presence. He's here in this place right now. So, Lord, I just thank you for moving here. God, you're free to speak. You're free to have your way. I just come against the spirit of fear right now that will try to keep us bound up, that will try to keep us clenched up with our fists clenched. No, this is a place where the spirit of God is free to move. And so I just declare the spirit of freedom over your life. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word.